Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity and the Menopause Support App called Balance. On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. So today I've got back with me in the studio, Dr. Rebecca Lewis, who some of you will know. She's the medical director with me here in my clinic in Stratford-upon-Avon. She's also one of the directors of the Balance app, the free app that we have She's also a director of the not-for-profit company. We have Houston Health Research and Education. Um, she's a very good friend, mentor, and also a GP and menopause specialist. So lots of great things. Thanks, Rebecca, for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. So we thought we would talk today about the perimenopause. Obviously, I spend the majority of my life thinking and talking about the menopause, but the perimenopause is something that happens to most of us, actually, and often when we're not expecting it. So we thought we'd spend a bit of time talking about that today, because I haven't done a podcast dedicated to the perimenopause. Mm. So just explain, Rebecca, what does peri mean? What does perimenopause mean? It's a new term for a lot of people. Yes, it is. It's a relatively new term, actually, in the world of menopause. But well, let's start with menopause. Menopause is really a year and a day after your last natural period. Meno means month, pause to stop. So the perimenopause is the time leading up to that last period, which can precede the last period by about 10 years. It's a time when the ovary starts to fail. It doesn't just stop completely. It starts to fail as we run out of eggs. And at this time, as we're running out of eggs and the ovary is beginning to fail, we start to fail to produce reliably the hormones estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. And so the perimenopause can actually precede the final period by 10 years, actually. That's quite a long time, isn't it? 10 well, years. well, it is actually. So it often takes women by surprise because if we look on average, the average age of the menopause here in the UK is 51. So if we said the perimenopause can precede that by 10 years, that takes us down on average to the age of 41. So and so that's interesting. So that means that most women will be yeah. perimenopausal in their 40s. But yes. we also know, don't we, that one in 100 women under the age of 40, probably more actually, mm. have an early menopause. Yeah, so absolutely. if you're not perimenopausal in your 40s, it's only really because you've been menopausal at a younger age. Exactly, exactly that. If it hasn't happened in your 40s, it's because you've already gone through it earlier. And that's Um, quite hard for people to understand, isn't it? Because we see, and I certainly, I'm sure you've got friends, I've got friends who are in their 50s and they say, oh, no, no, I'm not menopausal at all yet. It's not affecting me. My periods are still fine. Yes. But when you talk to them, they say, oh, yeah, I'm really tired. I have to fall asleep on the sofa. Really That's right. I'm a bit more anxious. My daughter's mm. learning to drive. And, oh, mm. my goodness, I'm so stressed all the time or yes. whatever. But if you say to them, are you perimenopausal? Oh, good Lord, no, they They'd say. say no, yeah. wouldn't they? So, they would. And I think it's just, as you say, it's a lack of understanding of what happens during this time. You know, I was pretty naive about it, to be fair, that the information was not out there, but, you know, and it's no. getting there, thank goodness. But how can a woman understand that if the information isn't there? So many women are brought up to expect flushes and sweats 
And of course, yeah. we know 20% will never have those anyway, let alone the myriad of symptoms, which are often much worse and much more devastating for an individual, that they don't recognise as due to their changing hormones. And this ambushes women and healthcare professionals, unfortunately. Yeah, and I know I went to teaching a while ago now about menopause, and it was had this graph about different symptoms. Uh-huh. And it started with hot flushes, yes. and then it went to mood symptoms, and then it went to vaginal dryness. I'm sure you've probably seen a similar slide, and it was mm. almost like the progression of the menopausal woman. Yes. And I sort of sat there and thought, well, I'm sure not everyone goes through the same. And then, obviously, having seen thousands of women through the clinic, a lot of women actually present with vaginal dryness, don't they? And never get a hot flush. Like you say, oh, I've seen some women who've only developed hot flushes in their 70s. So they've yes. had 20 years of these other quite vague symptoms they've often seen by cardiologists for their palpitations and rheumatologists for their joint pains they've often been on an antidepressant or two or three different antidepressants and then they've presented with flushes and Mm. people think oh gosh what else is going on so this whole it's not a formula is it you can't predict with the symptoms it's not a sequence of events that's going to be the same for everybody and that's the key is you know it never ceases to amaze me that some women will have drenching night sweats. Another woman will never have a night sweat in her entire life. Yet they're both menopausal. It's as individual, the symptoms are as individual as the person, as the woman in front of you, actually. So then there must be a blood test or something. Can't we just get a blood test? (laughs) Oh, that's... (laughs) Well, no, because... You know, as we know, Louise, it is so important that the woman understands what's going on because the diagnosis is a clinical one. Actually, at any age, doing a blood test to look at your hormones over the age of 45 is a complete waste of time and not recommended. But even younger women, actually, I don't know what you think, but even younger women, I know we we work out the NICE guidance, which is the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence guidelines now six years old. And they say a blood test may be helpful between the ages of 40, 45 under the age of 40, we should be doing this FSH blood test, but I've stopped doing them actually in my clinical practice because I don't think they're reliable, are they? Yes, I don't find them helpful at all. I mean, sometimes one can do them. If it's elevated, it's a little addition to the diagnosis. But so often a woman may come and see me and she's 42 and she's got barn door symptoms of menopause. She can't sleep. She's exhausted all the time. She's got her migraines getting worse her muscle and joint pains are worse. And um, her periods have changed ever so slightly. And her FSH is the level we use can be normal. And that should not cloud a clinical judgment clinical diagnosis of the perimenopause is absolute key and so often these blood tests are not helpful for us no and and I see quite a lot of women who have had a blood test or they've done it themselves Mm. because there's some ridiculous things that are advertised there's a urine test there's saliva test there's the fingerprint ones they're all very very unreliable so Mm. any of you listening do not bother don't waste Mm. your money on them but we see people who have gone to various places they've had blood tests they say well I've been told I'm estrogen dominant my estrogen level is very high so therefore I don't need estrogen but I think I might be perimenopausal mm. and often they're only got high estrogen at that time it's a snapshot they? isn't it really? yeah yes. and I think you know at three in the morning when they've got crippling anxiety or a night sweat their level won't be high then it will be low so mm. I mean, our hormones mm. are changing all the time aren't they? completely I mean you do a blood level and it can be quite high that morning but that very afternoon low again and this is characteristic particularly of the perimenopause isn't it we have you know the oscillation the fluctuation of our estrogen levels is enormous high one minute 
know the next and actually when I tell women this they nod and they say oh that makes sense I feel that in my body one moment I feel okay next minute I'm plunged into terrible anxiety or out of nowhere the palpitations come and my confidence has gone and and I feel at the whim of my hormones because the estrogen levels are fluctuating so much and that is really bad news for our estrogen receptors all over our body and gives rise to such disabling symptoms often symptoms of perimenopause are much more dramatic in fact than a woman who is older who has had a period of adaption perhaps in their late 50s yeah I think that's important isn't it so our hormones don't just decline their average is declining but they're going up and down in a very chaotic way aren't they and so Mm. for some women that means they have times where they feel absolutely fine and then they'll have other days or weeks or months where they're feeling awful like you say but some people will have very high levels of estrogen and Mm. there Mm. is this term estrogen dominance that's branded around and I'm not really aware it's such a thing because women don't remain estrogen dominant for a long time. No. And as you say, the average level is low, but if you catch them, it could be high for one transient snapshot. Really. That's right. I mean, we know for some women, their progesterone seems to lower a bit sooner before their estrogen. But we also see a lot of women, or I certainly have, who have only been given progesterone because they've been told they've got too much estrogen in their body. Mm. And they quickly Mm. run into trouble, actually, because it might stabilise things for a month or two. But the natural way is down for estrogen. So then they quite quickly find their estrogens declining. And when you give HRT, it often equilibrates the estrogen it stops this up and down yo-yo effect doesn't it that's right i mean the whole problem is this high low high low like a graph it looked like a map of the himalayas because it's so up and down and actually adding in estrogen to it the right dose for the individual will sort of more create a flat line approach so the body has a reliable continuous source of estrogen which is so much better for the body all around and for the estrogen receptors and symptoms settle then when the estrogen levels are consistent and uh, reliable it's this up and down it's so difficult for the body and for the woman absolutely but you say that it's a clinical diagnosis but actually it doesn't have to be a clinician that diagnoses it does it I mean a lot of a lot of women should be able to diagnose it themselves if they've got the right tools don't you think I completely agree um women know because they can feel this up and down for a start. They might not be able to verbalise it completely, but they feel different. They feel something has changed. And actually, if they can sort of find out what's going on by downloading the Free Balance app and documenting their symptoms and how they may change before our period, because just before the period, our estrogen levels are naturally at their lowest. And that can be the time when the symptoms are, are much more obvious, the flushes, the sweats, the muscle pains, the insomnia, the mood lowering. And they can document that on the balance app and download a personalized health report that they can take to their GP and then that starts the conversation actually I think this is a problem with my hormones leading to these symptoms what can we do about it because the problem is because there's so many symptoms of the menopause if you just concentrate on the worst one at that moment in time which might be your muscle pains you think well I'll go to the doctor and talk about that but I can only talk about one symptom at my appointment so you end up talking about muscle pains and then of course that's investigated over investigated and the next thing the woman's referred to the rheumatologist perhaps or being given a diagnosis of fibromyalgia or other muscular problems when actually 
if there was just a chance just to step back and see, well, it's not just muscle problems, it's insomnia, some flushes and sweats and a change in the period, just a little one maybe from a 28-day cycle to a 30-day cycle or 27-day cycle, and the Balance app has downloaded that health report, then immediately the healthcare practitioner can also see that this is perhaps all due to hormones. And the answer actually is replacing those hormones to alleviate symptoms and for the future health, of course. Because the other thing you were saying about estrogen dominance, if estrogen is not replaced, we have health risks due to low estrogen levels. Yeah, so it's really important. And it's very difficult, isn't it, to know? Because if you look at the questionnaire, if some of you have seen it on the Balance app, or if you put in search engine questionnaire for the balance-menopause.com website, you'll see the questions. And most of us at some time will have had those symptoms. And yeah. there's a snapshot, one off. It's very hard to know. But actually if women are having periods, and it might be they're still regular, but they become more heavy or lighter. So any change is really important to document. But then there are other women who don't have periods because maybe they've got a marina coil in or they've had a hysterectomy. So again, it's doing this questionnaire every three months or so, and then taking a bit of time to think, oh, has things changed? And why am I feeling low and tearful and emotional and my sleep being poor and having aching joints or whatever? And then I think that would then alert people to start that conversation. And certainly as a healthcare professional, if someone comes to me armed with knowledge, it's so much easier. And Mm. it's not just in the perimenopause or menopause. I mean, I'm sure you've been the same. When someone, you've got someone in general practice who's tired and a bit worn out and they say to me, do you think I might be deficient in iron? And then I've done it a lot and I feel really embarrassed to say this. And they've Mm. been women and I said, oh, what are your periods like? Oh, they're so heavy. I can't go out for two days a month. And it's like, right, yes, you will be iron deficient. Of course you'll be tired. And, you know, it's the patients actually tell us, they guide us all the time if we're listening, but they have to be armed with the right information. So, and what's happening, we know is that women are going with one or two symptoms. And quite rightly, the healthcare professional is focusing on those one or two symptoms. Whereas I think if women, we have a duty almost, don't we, to say to our healthcare professional, do you think it could be my hormones? Do you think I could be perimenopausal? And I think, the healthcare professional will thank that patient for doing that. Oh, I'd be so grateful, like you, because it's so difficult in, say, general practice when you only have 10 minutes. It's ridiculous. It's not long enough at all, you know, to make a, a full assessment. So if, if the woman has done that work before yes. and yet once at a glance on this health report, you can see, oh, I can see, hang on, your periods are changing. They've got a bit further apart and a bit heavier. And I can see that you're having all these symptoms just before your period when we know your estrogen levels are low. And all at once, the pieces in the jigsaw or fit together and the answer is hormonal problems due to the perimenopause or menopause and then solutions can be found and you can then have a conversation of how you'd like to manage that yeah and I think some people will say well if I'm having for example palpitations and there are other reasons why people have palpitations so there are conditions such as atrial fibrillation or SVT, a supraventricular tachycardia, that yes. clearly needs pro- appropriate investigations and often the correct treatment. Yes. So then some healthcare professionals I train to say, well, isn't that dangerous that you're saying it's all due to the perimenopause and they might have a heart defect, for example. So I often say, and I, I hope you agree here, yeah. that if you think someone's perimenopausal, mm. you can absolutely manage that but anything else you're worried about if it's their heart or their joint pains of course they might have arthritis they might have a heart condition 
Well, they can still be referred for the appropriate investigations or given the right treatment. And the chances are everything will improve by the time their referral comes through. But what's happening is a lot is that some people are thinking, well, let's work out your palpitations first Mm. and then do the hormone bit. Whereas I'm sort of saying, well, we can give hormones anyway, but we'll carry on doing the other investigations. So would you agree with that? Completely in tandem. I completely agree because... Yes, you're absolutely right. Other things cannot be missed, just like you've said about palpitations. And that may be a very appropriate thing to be referred for an ECG or 24-hour ECG, um, even see a cardiologist. But also, if the hormone problem is being dealt with at the same time, we can see how these symptoms, if it were to be due to the hormones, how they improve with time. Um, And that's helpful. Absolutely, which is really important, isn't it? So let's just think about treatment. So we've talked about, or we've mentioned HRT, hormone replacement. Well, if a woman's perimenopausal, we're not replacing, are we, hormones? We're sort of topping up, really, because the liver is still working, albeit not 100%, but it's perhaps dropped down to 80%. So we just have to top up a little bit to get back to the normal physiological female levels. Nothing higher but just back to the normal levels. So HRT is, is really bad, actually. I, in some countries, it's called MHT, so menopausal hormonal treatment yes. or hormonal therapy. But actually, I still think that's bad because it's not menopause in this case, it's perimenopause. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it is just a hormone. And so, But if you look at the way that HRT is licensed in the UK, you know the, the BNF, the British National Formula, the Bible that we all have, or you can look online, then we're actually, as healthcare professionals, only allowed to prescribe it if it's been a year since the last period, if people are menopausal. Isn't that right? Yeah, ridiculous. That is actually what it says on the licensing part of HRT. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Why do we have to wait for a year after our last period when we've been deficient for 10 years prior? And having health risks due to that deficiency, importantly. Well, I think this is the other thing, isn't it? And I think... For some women, actually, their perimenopause can be worse than their menopause. Oh, I do think that's true. Yeah, I really do. You know, we mm. see a lot of women who have been five, ten years after their menopause. And they, when I talk about this, they say, well, when did you first get symptoms? Oh, I remember because my cat died and I was 42 and I started to get symptoms, but I thought it was because I was bereaved, you know. Yes. And then you sort of talk and they say, oh, gosh, yes, I remember now. I, I gave up my job then. And then actually... I couldn't concentrate and I had that that whole window was really awful and I was getting these sweats and the sweats just seemed to improve and they talk through this yes, history yes. and then they're often saying well I, I feel so much better now maybe I don't need HRC <laughs> but it's not just about making people feel better by giving the topping up with the hormones it's actually like you say these health risks and we know mm. that estrogen and hopefully some of you have heard me talking before about it is so anti-inflammatory in our body Mm. if we've got inflammation that's occurring without estrogen there's an increased risk of diseases isn't there so talk us through the diseases that's right we know that the health risks of the menopause due to low estrogen levels or fluctuating the low estrogen levels are increased risk of heart disease increased risk of osteoporosis type 2 diabetes poor cholesterol profile, increased risk of obesity. The brain tries to compensate due to a lack of estrogen and lays down fat cells around the middle 
area, which is not good for our cardiovascular health, because these fat cells do secrete a very weak type of estrogen, which isn't really helpful, but it's the way the brain tries to react when it detects these low estrogen levels in the perimenopause and menopause. So obesity or gaining weight around the middle is also another risk factor from the menopause. And other things like increased problems with cognition and not being able to think straight and correctly. And we know that young women who've had their ovaries removed under the age of 45 and are estrogen deficient, therefore, have a much increased risk of all diseases, about 34 diseases, including dementia, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, even things like asthma um, and drug addiction is increased if the hormones aren't replaced at a young age. That has been shown. Yeah, and, and certainly mental health issues as well. So oh, yes, even yes. psychosis and mm-hmm. mania and obviously clinical depression as well. So the power of hormones is really, really important. And often it's not until you have them replaced or topped up, depending on where you are, you realise how much you've missed them. And I think we hear that a lot, don't we? Yes, it's only when you look back, don't you? You feel you can see how much you were suffering once you're feeling better I often patients often say that to me yeah yes because they they sort of think oh they're not too bad and and I think it's because it's a gradual thing and the other thing is I think we're saying about women diagnosing it I actually feel that others should be looking out for it in their friends or family or work colleagues don't you think because some women insight is lost almost because you're so busy often at this time of life the children perhaps might be leaving home or you might alternatively have very young children because you've had them later in life plus you might have older relatives to look after you've got a a career to run it is exhausting anyway so naturally a lot of women say well no wonder I'm exhausted I've got all this on my plate Um, I'm feeling a little bit low and flat because life is tricky you know bereavements are common at this time of life unfortunately as well but actually it's not just that it's their hormones that are causing these problems and we normalize so much we normalize our symptoms time and time again yes I'm a bit stiff and achy oh well maybe I'm getting older this is what it's like when my 40s and 50s and it doesn't have to be this way women put up with so much without questioning it and they don't have to and it's insidious as you say because unless you've had a surgical menopause where your ovaries have been removed completely, as we were saying, the ovary just doesn't stop. It's a stuttering stop. So some months it might be working quite well and the next few months it doesn't. And then when you've got your symptoms, when the ovary's not working well, you attribute it to the normal things going on in life, work, children, uh, you know, pressures of life. And then it happens again. But because it's not every single day and every single month to start with, it's insidious and it can take some years for women to realise what's happening to their bodies. But if we can get onto that quicker then we can save women leaving jobs. We can save a lot of mental health problems, which is vast. Um, Women are really suffering due to their hormones, some women very severely. We know that many women are given antidepressants inappropriately because their mood is low. And if they just talk about low mood, understandably, many healthcare professionals will think it's depression. But actually, when you dig down, it's not just low mood, it's increased anxiety and a host of other menopausal symptoms due to their low hormones. And actually, correction of the hormone will help their mood and sleep and anxiety. So it's really key that a woman gets onto the diagnosis or their partner. I think partners are really 
quite insightful because if the woman can't see this fluctuation because life is so busy, often someone standing outside, so maybe a colleague at work mm. or their partner at home, can see a change, can see something happening. So it's education, as you say, of, of women, their partners, the workplace, everyone, society. Absolutely. I think it's so important. And um, we've just developed um, an area on the Balance website actually for partners mm. because it is often partners seeking help. It's really important, but even my 10-year-old actually came home recently and she said, oh, mummy, I think Mrs. Whoever, I'm not saying her name, <laughs> is menopausal. And I said, why do you say that? She said, well, she has a fan on her window. So. Yes. And every so often she just walks out and she looks flustered. She didn't used to be like this. I think she's menopausal. I said, why didn't you give her a copy of my book? Oh, mummy, that's too embarrassing. But it is interesting, actually. And she will be right. I know exactly she will be right because this lady... I don't know how old she is, but she looks, she's in her late 40s. So as you've always said at the beginning of the podcast, by definition, Mm. she will be perimenopausal or menopausal if she's had an early menopause. So we need to sort of realise actually the importance of picking it up. And there's two Mm. reasons for that. There are options to help improve symptoms, but also for future health as well. And having the right dose and type of HRT. So that means oestrogen, That means progesterone or a progestogen if women still have their womb. And often it means testosterone as well for women because that's an important hormone too, isn't it? Completely, yes. The ovary produces more testosterone than oestrogen, actually, three or four times the amount. And we see a natural decline in testosterone levels uh, from midlife onwards. And we know that testosterone can really help not only libido, which is proven to help, but we have seen how much it can help in cognition, memory, concentration, fatigue, even sleep and mood. A lot of women are found have felt much better with the testosterone replacement. After all, it's our missing hormone. It yes. is a hormone that if it's not replaced, a woman will, will feel that quite often. Yeah, and I think it's also very important when women are thinking about their perimenopause is thinking about right, this is the start of something that's happening to me and my body. And like you've said, it's an individualised experience and journey, if you like. But actually, it might last half, a third, a quarter. I don't know how long of their their life. And so it's a good chunk of time. Yes. So I always think, isn't it really important to be as healthy as we can? You know, like that time when you might be thinking about having a baby and you think, right, I really need to, not that I did smoke, but I would really need to stop smoking, reduce my alcohol. I want to be really fit and I don't want to be overweight when I start to get pregnant because it's going to be harder to shift that weight. So all these things, which are very important. And I also think with a perimenopause, it's almost like a really good time to think, right, what is my diet like? Can Mm. I really eat rubbish Mm. like I could as a teenager? No, I can't because my metabolism is changing. Now, I know I've got an increased risk of osteoporosis and heart disease and dementia. What lifestyle things can I do? Right, let's look at any bad behaviours. Let's look at my sleep. Right, maybe I should be changing my exercise. (laughs) Maybe I should be thinking about how much alcohol I'm drinking. So... And then also looking at making the right diagnosis, having the right treatment, thinking about hormones. But it's that whole, it really takes a bit of time, doesn't it? But it's an investment for our future health this time. Completely. It's a real trigger time, actually, Mm. because we potentially, if the average age is 51, we've got 30 or 40 years ahead post-menopausally which is an enormously long time and you know most people 
would like to live for as long as possible. But the key here is as healthily as possible. You know, we really want to not become disabled and, and um, weak and have dementia and muscle aches and pains and be miserable in later years. We want to live life to the full for as long as possible and be as healthy as possible. So as you say, it's an ideal opportunity to sort of take stock. And lifestyle is so important, as you've said, you know, the diet, the exercise, the weight loss, the alcohol intake. But actually, if you're suffering with a, with a menopause so badly, often your mind is not in the right state to, to take on lifestyle changes. For example, how on earth can a menopausal woman who is so tired and has so much muscle and joint pain, how can she exercise properly? Of course she can't. So what I've seen is, of course, giving HRT, replacing, correcting the hormone deficiency, woman then feels back to her normal self and then is in the right mindset, her body's feeling able to exercise challenge herself about perhaps stopping smoking or reducing her alcohol intake because she's feeling strong she's feeling well and we all know to make changes you have to come from a good place and start feeling well as a platform to launch that change yeah I think that's really important actually and I think also people should not feel guilty that they're not making all these changes together there's a lot of pressure actually out there from various menopause groups but also lifestyle groups well-being groups to say come on exercise your way through the menopause or change your diet and you will feel better absolutely not for a lot of people it's looking at everything together is is crucial that's right I think it can be just too much for some women and overwhelming when they're feeling overwhelmed anyway some people will be fine but others really do need to feel better before they can make the next step in changing their lifestyle. Absolutely. So I, hopefully that's given people a bit of a flavour. There's more information. There's actually um, a booklet on Balance, website balance-menopause.com website. Obviously my book is called Preparing for the Perimenopause and Menopause. It's not a plug for the book, but I took quite a lot of, um, well, I had to force uh, the publishers actually to add perimenopause to the title because they weren't keen on it because it's a long word but it's really important that we all are aware of it so I'm very grateful for your time Rebecca but you're not going to escape without (laughs) three take-home tips so for three quick tips for women who think they might be perimenopausal what should their three things they should do so take control this is a time to think about getting your hormones balanced your future health number two get a diagnosis early rather than later and Download the free balance app to help you do that, to track your symptoms and your periods. Number three, think about having hormone replacement therapy to help your symptoms. And then feeling better, you can launch from a a healthy platform to look at your lifestyle, to make some changes that could be then forever for a healthier life. Brilliant. So thank you ever so much. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the studio before too long, because it's always great to talk to you. Well, it's lovely talking to you. Thank you very much for having me. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, please visit my website, balance-menopause.com, or you can download the free Balance app, which is available to download from the App Store or from Google Play. Google Play.